As is always the case, it is a blessing to be able to worship God this morning, and we are so thankful uh, for that blessing. We're thankful for those who are here, especially those of you who are visiting with us, and we do hope that you will uh, find a warm welcome here and that you will allow us an opportunity to get to know you perhaps a little better this morning uh, while you're here. You know, there is a question that is asked in Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, and on the surface, it appears to be a very simple question, but unfortunately, through the years, it's a question that's been marred and complicated. And the question is this, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? That's the question that the eunuch asked as uh, Philip had been preaching to him the gospel in Acts chapter 8. And that question has been asked by so many people since that time, and it continues to be asked even unto this day. But that question that he asked, here is water, what keeps or hinders me from being baptized, it implies some things about what the eunuch knew about baptism. Namely, it implies that he recognized the need to be baptized. And second, it it, uh, implies that he also based upon that need, had a desire to meet the need. He knew that it should be done, and therefore he had a desire to do it. Do you know, one of the sad truths, I think, of our world is that baptism is one of the most clearly uh, taught subjects in the Bible, and it's also one of the most beautiful subjects in the Bible, and yet, unfortunately, it continues to be one of the most misunderstood and, mis, uh, and debated topics in all of the religious world. Now, many, if, uh, hopefully most, if not all of you, received a small card this morning when you came in. It says, Baptism Survey on the top, and there are six questions on this card. If you didn't get it, it's okay, because we're going to go over the questions in just a moment. This isn't for you to turn in. This is just for you to keep for yourself. It's just simply intended to be something to help us reflect. Because this morning what we want to do is we want to take a look at what the Bible says about baptism. We're interested in what we're calling scriptural baptism. That is simply baptism the way that scripture defines it or explains it. And so the purpose for these questions before we begin looking at some passages about baptism this morning is to reflect upon our own baptism so that we can compare what we have done or may have done with what the Bible says and what it describes. Let's just talk about some of these questions quickly before we move on into our lesson. The first question is simply this. Have you been baptized? It's a yes or no question. Have you been baptized? And then the second question is, how were you baptized? Were you baptized by immersion? Were you baptized by sprinkling, maybe by pouring, or maybe in some uh, other uh, method or by some other means? How were you baptized? Here's question three. What about about when? How old were you when you were baptized? What was the sequence of events that unfolded leading up to your baptism? Um, when were you baptized? And here's a very, very important question. Number four, why? Why were you baptized? Was it for the forgiveness of sins? Was it because you had already been saved and so therefore you were seeking to uh, have a, an outward showing of your salvation, of an inward held conviction? What was the reason for your baptism? Maybe it was something different. 
Maybe it was simply because everyone else had done it or your friends or maybe a brother or a sister and you felt like you needed to do it too, but maybe you weren't really sure. Why were you baptized? Here's number five. Were you saved before or after baptism? This question is important because, as we mentioned a minute ago, unfortunately, baptism is one of the more debated topics in all of the world as far as religious things are concerned. And there are a number of people who would say that actually we're saved before baptism. But then there are a number of people who would say, no, we're saved after, as a result of baptism. Which one is it? Well, that's what we're going to try and find out this morning. But what about you? Were you saved before or after baptism? And here's the sixth question, finally. Into what church or which church were you baptized? Many people baptize, and the reason that they baptize is to be added to a particular church of some sort. So which one was it? That's the question that you need to consider. Again, have you been baptized? How? When? Why? Were you saved before or after? And into what church were you baptized? Just think about those questions briefly and jot them down, maybe on the card or just maybe in the back of your mind or maybe on a piece of scratch paper somewhere and then set them to the side. And let's take a few moments to look at some of the passages in God's word about baptism. And then when we're through, perhaps you can compare what we've learned from God's word with the answers that you've already written and see how they match up. Let's start here. Let's recognize, first of all, that baptism is commanded. I want you to look with me at a passage that should be familiar to many of us. It's Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 to 20. And I want us to read the passage together and then I want us to ask a question of it. In Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, we read what we call the Great Commission. This is on the occasion of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And as he has his disciples gathered before him, here's what he says. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now this passage, the Great Commission, it's fairly clear, I think you would agree, Jesus sends the disciples into all the world with a mission to accomplish. And the mission is this, that they are to make disciples of all nations, and they do that by baptizing and by teaching. And he promises that as they go out doing this, that he is going to be with them. If you compare a parallel passage with this one, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, you'll notice that Mark records Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that does not believe shall be condemned. Now I want us to think together about these two passages and then ask an important question. Notice that both of the passages They both record the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach, preach, and they both include baptism. But now let me ask you this question. Why do they both include baptism? Jesus wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, and he includes baptism with it, but why is that the case? Well, look in your Bibles with me quickly at John chapter 3 and verse 5. Listen to what Jesus said in John 3 and verse 5. He's speaking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, who is a ruler of the Jews, 
a Pharisee who came to Jesus by night. And Nicodemus said, or excuse me, Jesus said, beginning in verse 3, John 3 and verse 3, Most assuredly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Did you notice what Jesus is saying? Nicodemus wants to know, or Jesus rather, uh, says to Nicodemus, it is impossible for a person to enter into the kingdom of God. Stop for a moment. What is the kingdom of God? According to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and 23, the kingdom of God is the church of Jesus Christ. And according to Ephesians 5 and 23, Jesus is the savior of the church. So the reason why it is important for us to know about entering into the kingdom of God is because the kingdom is the church. It's the body of the saved. And Jesus says it is impossible to enter into the kingdom of God unless one is what? Unless one is baptized. That's what he means by being born of water and the spirit. In John 3 and verse 5, he's talking about baptism. This is why Jesus includes baptism with a great commission. This is why he commands all of us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching and baptizing, because it is impossible to be added to the kingdom, Acts 2 and verse 47, unless we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, baptized into Christ Jesus. That's why it's commanded, Acts 2 and verse 38. An interesting passage that brings it all together is Acts chapter 8 and verse uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse number 12. Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria and the Bible says this, but when they believed Philip as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women, what happened? They were baptized. Philip preached about the kingdom, Philip preached about Christ, and they heard him and they believed what he said and so therefore they were baptized. You know, there is an interesting account in 2 Kings chapter 22 where the Bible tells us about King Josiah. And I believe if my memory serves correctly that it was in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign that he sent, uh, uh, he sent a group of people into the temple of God. And while there, someone found the book of the law of God. And that book of the law of God was brought to Hezekiah, excuse me, Josiah, and it was read before him. And the Bible tells us that when Josiah heard the words of the law, that he wept, and he immediately uh, set forth to uh, reenact those instructions that were found in God's law that had not been followed and obeyed by God's people for some time. There's an interesting parallel to our study this morning. You see, the reason why Josiah was able to reenact all of the commands of the law of God that hadn't been obeyed for some time is because they hadn't changed. It doesn't matter that no one had seen them or read them. They hadn't changed. They had stayed the same for all of that time. That same principle applies even today. You see, we read through God's word and we see people who are becoming Christians, who are being added to the kingdom of God. They did that through obeying the gospel. They did that through baptism. And even though we're living in the year 2020 today, 
We see these instructions that are found in the pages of God's word before us. And though so much time has gone by, and unfortunately lots of people don't follow them, the truth is that they haven't changed. They're still the same today as they were then. Here's another thing that we need to consider about baptism. Not only that baptism is is commanded, we know that it is, but now we need to know more about it. So what is baptism exactly? Well, first of all, what we should note is that baptism is a burial. Baptism is a burial. In Acts chapter 8, if you already have your Bible turned there, look at the end of the chapter. In Acts chapter 8, verses 36 to 38, it's a passage that we referenced a few moments ago. Do you remember the question that the eunuch asked Philip in Acts 8 and verse 36? See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so here's the answer. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So listen to this. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now I want you to underline this statement that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Why do you suppose it's the case that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water in order to administer baptism? Can I point you to another passage in God's word that will shed some light on that question? Look at Romans chapter 6 for a moment in the passage that was read for us a moment ago. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 was read for us, but for the sake of time, let's just look at verse 4 together. In Romans 6, 4, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Key in on the word at the beginning of the verse. What is it that Paul says? How does he describe baptism? Well, he describes it as a, as a burial. We were buried with him, he says, by baptism into death. In Colossians 2 and verse 12, he'll say the same thing, that we are buried with Christ in baptism and that we are risen with him through the faith and the operation of God. We'll talk about that passage in more detail later in our study. But but first, what is baptism? What do these two passages tell us? Well, they tell us that baptism is a burial. We've all probably been to a burial, or at least we know what it's all about. We go to the cemetery and there is the casket and the casket is lowered down into the ground, into the hole that's dug in the ground, and then the ground, the the dirt is, is placed upon the casket and the casket is then completely submerged within the ground. It's buried in the ground. Baptism is the same thing. Friends, that's why it's not appropriate to administer baptism through sprinkling or pouring water on someone because the Bible describes baptism as a burial. In fact, the very word baptism itself, if you were to look up the definition of the word, it has to do with an immersion. It has to do with a submersion. It has to do with a complete covering in water. That's what baptism is. But let's take it one step further. Would you look with me in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Let's look at verses 1 and following. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says something about the gospel. In fact, he defines it for us. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse number 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, how does Paul define the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4? He defines it as the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all according to the Scripture. Now, with that in mind, go back to where we just, we just were. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, what the Apostle Paul, when we take the entire context into consideration, is describing, is he is describing a reenactment of that very thing. When we are baptized into Christ, according to Romans 6, verse 1 to 4, we are, notice, buried with him through baptism, verse 4. And we are raised from the dead. So it is a reenactment of the gospel. Just as Jesus died and was buried and resurrected, so the old man of sin dies, and then we are buried with him in the watery grave of baptism, if you will, and then we rise up, we resurrect from those waters to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a burial, but it is also a reenactment of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in which we, in a sense, become a joint participant, according to Colossians 2 And verse number 12. Let's ask another question. Who's baptism for? For whom is it appropriate to be baptized? Would you look with me in your Bibles at Acts chapter 2? And I want you to notice what the Apostle Peter says about baptism in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. In Acts 2 and verse number 37, the scripture says that when those who were there in the assembly when they heard this, that is the preaching of the apostle Peter and the other apostles, it says that they were cut to the heart. And they asked this question, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at that statement in the middle of verse 38. You'll repent and be baptized, he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if a person stands in need of the forgiveness of sins, what does that say about them? What's the implication? Well, the implication is that they have what? That they have sins. You see, baptism is for sinners, if you will. Baptism is for those who are lost in their sins. Acts 22 and verse 16, the Bible says, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sin. Well, what is sin? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 4 that sin is a transgression of the law of God If sin is a transgression of the law of God, 1 John 3 and verse 4, then there are certain implications that follow from that. Namely, if sin is a transgression of God's law, then a person has to be old enough, they have to be cognizant enough, if you will. They have to have the mental ability to understand that law is being transgressed. We have to understand the difference between right and wrong. The Bible says that all sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse number 23, and that that sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59 and verse 1 and 2. And so therefore, when we're talking about baptism, who is it for? It's for everyone. 
It's for everyone who reaches the age, reaches the point in life where they begin to recognize that there is a difference between right and wrong. And when the Bible says that, that we violate God's law and that all people do it, and once we violate God's law, we've separated ourselves from him. And so we stand in need of, of something to be done about our sin. We stand in need of that sin needing to be dealt with. And the Bible says that that is accomplished through baptism. But you know, there are also some prerequisites to baptism that are important to note as well. It's the Bible's plan of salvation. The Bible says that a person is going to be saved first when they hear God's word. The Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and we can't be saved without faith. Uh, John, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 3. But also the Bible says that a person has to believe in the deity of Jesus. John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. We also have to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Remember what Peter said in Acts 2 and verse 38. He's not talking just about baptism. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then there's baptism, of course. Uh, excuse me, I, I skipped a step. There's also confession. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. We hear God's word. We believe in the deity of Jesus. We repent of our sins. We confess our faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what the eunuch said in Acts chapter 8. And then we are ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. What is baptism? It's a burial. It's a reenactment of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the old man of sin dying and the new man rising up from that watery grave to walk in newness of life. Who is it for? It's for everybody. It's for sinners. Because the Bible says that all people have sin. And the Bible says that sin is a transgression of God's law. So at that point in time where we began to realize, listen, I have done wrong and I have, I have disobeyed God. And so therefore my sins have separated me from God. If I hear and believe and repent and confess and I'm ready to be baptized, then baptism is for me. We need to check. We need to look at one more question though. What happens in baptism? This is important. What happens when we're baptized? I want you to look with me now at Colossians 2 and verse 12. We mentioned that passage a little while ago, but I want to spend a little bit of time looking closer at it just for the last few moments that remain in our time together. Colossians 2 and verse 12. In my judgment, this is one of the most important passages on baptism in all of the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. He says, beginning in verse number 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now notice that Paul is talking about spiritual circumcision, if you will. He's talking about circumcision, he says, which is of Christ. And he defines that in verse number 12 as baptism. And he says in baptism, there are some things that happen. First of all, we're buried with him. We talked about that. It's a burial. We are raised with him. We talked about that also. It's a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are uh, raised to walk in newness of life. But he says all of this is done through the faith of the operation or the working of God. 
Now notice here just for a moment, sometimes folks will say, but wait a minute, we're not saved by works, right? And isn't baptism a work? Well, yes, it's a work, but look at this passage. Who's doing the work here? The Bible says that it's God who does the work. It's not a work of me, it's a work of God. But here's a question. What work does God do in baptism? If we can get to the bottom of that, then we'll understand what happens in baptism. The Bible describes two things that God does in baptism. Number one, we've already talked about it, God washes away our sins with the blood of Jesus. Acts 2 and verse 38, the passage we noticed a moment ago. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, another context that we've looked at this morning. What God does when we're baptized is he washes away our sins in the blood of Christ. But there's a second thing that God does in baptism. Look at Acts 2 and verse 37. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 37 that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You remember when we began looking at that card, those questions. The last question was, into what church were you baptized? This is the reason why. Because what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus Christ came and he built his church. He promised us he was going to do that in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And he did it in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible tells us that the church is the body of the saved, Ephesians 5 and verse number 23, and that there's only one because Jesus only has one body, Ephesians 4 and verse number 4, or excuse me, Ephesians 4 and verse 4 to 6. So Jesus came to build a church, it's his body, there's only one, and it's the body of the saved. And the Bible teaches us that if we will study carefully the New Testament, that the New Testament will lay out for us a descriptive pattern of what that church is all about. It belongs to Christ, and it's called after his name, and it worships in spirit and truth, and it follows his teaching. It follows the New Testament pattern of teaching or doctrine. And the Bible teaches us that that church is not a denomination. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the church that Jesus established came into existence hundreds of years before denominationalism was ever even a thought in the minds of men. So, knowing all of that, that Jesus came to build a church, that it's pre-denominational, that the Bible describes what it's all about and how it can be identified, and that it is the only body of the saved. It's important for me to know something about how I can be a member of that body. What does Acts 2 verse 47 tell us about that? It tells us that God adds the saved to the church. In context, who are those who are saved or being saved? Those who have submitted to baptism, Acts 2 and verse 38. But let's look at another passage to make it even more clear. Would you look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 for a moment? In Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 27, listen to what the scripture says. The scripture says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. To be in Christ or to be into Christ, if you will, Galatians 3 and verse 27, is the same as saying being baptized into the body of Christ or being baptized into the church of Christ, the church that Christ built. So in Colossians 2 and verse 12, the Bible tells me that that when I am baptized, I am buried with him and raised through faith. That, That implies a confidence. That implies a knowledge. That means I can know something about what God does and I can believe in what he's doing. Well, what is he doing? First, he's washing away my sins. Second, he's adding me to the body of Jesus Christ. 
He's adding me to Christ. I am baptized into Christ. Galatians 3 and verse number 27. I am saved as a result of being baptized. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 21. And I can and I must know those things about baptism. The Bible says that when I, when I have that knowledge, when I have that faith, that baptism is for the forgiveness of my sins and so that God can add me to the body of Jesus Christ, then I am ready to be baptized, and I am ready to be baptized scripturally, according to what the scripture says about baptism. Now, this morning, we've seen a lot of things about baptism that, that are very important. We've talked about the fact that baptism is commanded. There's no question about that. It's commanded that we all go into the world and that we preach the gospel, that we baptize uh, those in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we know that it's for those who are penitent sinners. Those who hear, believe, and repent, and confess, and who are ready to submit themselves to baptism, that they may have their sins washed away, it's a barrel in water. We know that when we're baptized, our sins are washed away, and we are added to the body of Jesus Christ. We know that baptism is for salvation, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Now, with all of those things in mind, I want you to think back to the questions that we asked at the very beginning of the study. Look at the card that you have in front of you. Look at your answers, or go back in your mind and think about how you answered them when we went over them just a, a few moments ago. Do your answers match with what we've learned from God's Word this morning? If they do, then that's wonderful, and praise God for it. But if they don't, recognize that God has granted us a wonderful opportunity this morning to make that right. We stand ready and willing and able this morning to be able to help you if you have need to, to be baptized in a way that is scriptural. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ Jesus and be immersed in water so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can stand as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, and so that you can be added to the body, the church of Jesus Christ, Acts 2 and verse 47, it would be our great privilege to help you do it. The Lord's invitation is extended this morning. And if you have need, then we invite you to come and let it be known while together we stand and sing the invitation song.